You're listening to Ember Weekend, your weekend recap of all things Ember. This is episode 50. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson, and we're here to keep you in the Ember run loop. We're broadcasting from Hashrocket HQ, and today's episode is called, Oh Wait For It. So it's our 50th episode, and uh, given our two uh, our two skips uh, for Christmas and Thanksgiving, that means that we are at a year, approximately a year of, uh, of Ember Weekending. Like super approximate. Like it's, not like, right. it's not like we have any way of telling how long it's been. Yeah, well, it'll be the 24th of this month, I believe. That'll be, or, or be a year, a full year. Oh, so that's right around EmberConf. Yep, I believe our uh, our year anniversary will be um, the episode immediately following EmberConf. Ooh, nice. Yeah, that'll be pretty fun. So the first thing we want to talk about is the Ember Community Survey. Uh, it takes about 10 minutes to fill out. It's pretty awesome. Uh, it gets a really, really good uh, idea of kind of where the Ember community is and where it's going. Uh, it takes about, like I said, it takes about 10 minutes to to fill out. And I actually had a really good time filling it out because, uh, well, one, we're mentioned in one of the questions. That was pretty cool. So that, <laughs> right. that was pretty neat. Uh, did you did you say that you got most of your news from Ember Weekend, Chase? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah well, you, you yeah, there was a couple other things too I put in there. Like, uh, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to sway anybody's anybody's uh, votes. So I don't want to say what I put. Oh yeah, all right, all right. You, you think you have that kind of power? You have that sway? No, but I mean, like, uh, obviously people put in for weekend, but I just don't want to, you know. <laughs> I don't want to say what of the other sources like Twitter. I think uh, I think you're being very responsible right now. I I'm, I'm, I approve of this. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a really great tool for us to kind of gauge uh, the community at large, I suppose. Uh, to gauge where everyone is and get a better idea of uh, who's using Ember and what makes it valuable uh, to people, and also then you know for specifically for the core team, it might be useful to for them to know what versions are being used most and uh, how many you know how many experience like what what's the experience level of the average Ember user uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so I really encourage you to take it. Uh, we're gonna link to it for sure. I think it should still be up by the time this one goes uh, goes out. Uh, so, uh, yeah, definitely want to encourage you to take it and uh, help help everyone out. So last week, Sam Silikoff and Ryan Toronto uh, announced that they were going to be doing uh, a, a web-based video training for Ember that they call Ember Map. Uh, so it's still kind of in like uh, the early phase, um, but you can go check it out and sign up for, for news when it's, uh, when it's released. Uh, not much information on this yet, but uh, we'll keep you informed. Yeah, I signed up for it uh, just to get the the early notice of when it's going to be released. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty cool. These two um, these two guys are are prominent Ember people, and it's it's going to be really exciting to see what happens. Uh, yeah, so I'm very excited, and we've had Sam on the show, of course. So uh, definitely would like to see more more come from him. Yeah, if there's uh, anyone who can teach you about you know the testing practices in Ember, it's you know the guy who made Mirage. Yeah, right. So uh, check it out. Uh, sign up for it. And uh, yeah, keep we'll keep you uh, we'll keep you appraised. So there's a couple good RFCs out there right now, if, you, if you're following them. Uh, one of them is RFC 124, which is which is module normalization by Dan Gebhardt. Um, so this one is uh, it's a pretty involved uh, RFC. It's not the longest we've seen, but it's um, it's very uh you know, it has far-reaching consequences in uh, in the way you're going to deal with Ember day to day. So you might want to check it out. Um, obviously, this is you know it's just a an RFC. It's not the way. Um, there's still a discussion around it. So you know, check it out and see if it's something you'd be interested in weighing in on. Yeah. So the module normalization stuff. Um, we have like extensive notes here. We probably won't have time to go into all of it, but uh, it's basically to address some concerns around uh, 
pods versus classic confusion and uh, maybe some help add-on authors better uh, structure their their add-ons. Uh, and a few of the things that uh, that jumped out at me is uh, something that is kind of uh, frustrating now is if you want to, uh, well, if you if you so in the in the new RFC you're going to be able to use a hyphen in folder structure in in a in a folder and that will say the resolver will ignore this so you can actually add arbitrary um, structure to your to your project uh, by adding these hyphenated folders to better structure your app but but still use the the normal resolver methods. So uh, a couple of his examples are basically he has like post uh, and then and, and inside of that post folder, a new folder and inside of that, a components folder, which is hyphenated so that he can keep that uh, like separated, the components separated. But when you actually you reference it, it'll be post slash new slash, you know, component name. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And then another thing that uh, was a common source of frustration with pods was uh, name type. These are things that I have run into. Um, where if you have a pod structure, you're going to have a million folder or files named controller.js. Uh, and when you're in, a, in a, a text editor like Vim and you have you know four splits open, well, the only thing that's going to actually show, you're guaranteed to show, is the file name. And controller.js being open on four panes is not really helpful. So it'd be nicer to say, oh, get, let me specify the name and then, then dot controller so I can, I can see that right there. And I think... Chase, you were you were running into this before. You you were able to to actually reference like to do this in the current pod structure, right? Well, yeah, I never actually tried it out, but there was a there were people saying that you could do this with pods where you could uh, only the prefix before the dot counted, I guess, on the resolver. Um, so as long as it was named the right thing there, you could say like it was kind of the reverse of this. It was so you could say like component dot person or whatever, and oh, I see, and dot js. And since the resolver is basically just splitting on dot and getting the first thing or whatever, you know, some, some way it was looking it up, didn't care. So it wasn't really, it was a built in thing. It was just kind of like kind of some little hacky workaround to get the, you know, some context of what, what component you were looking at. Um, and this is kind of more formalizes that, which is nice. Right. Um, the other thing that this does, um, is that there, it would move your, all of your code from app to modules. Um, and this would happen in applications as well as in add-ons. So you would lose the you know the app versus add-on folder confusion, um, and they'd all be in modules, and then you have different ways um, to uh, look up private things. Because the reason for this is that um, you know the things that are in add-on are private to the add-on, and then have to be exported to app in order to be visible in the app. Um, so there's some stuff in this RFC that goes over you know how exactly that happens, um, but I don't know if that's fully worked out yet. Um, so the end result is all of your code in your app would live in modules. And so you'd have modules slash the namespace slash the name of the thing slash the type. So in, in the case that was given here, it was, you know, modules slash post slash new, which is all the namespace. And then the name of the thing is um, post dash editor. So that would be like the template, the component you'd be rendering. And then you'd have some files inside of this folder called template.hbs component.js. So anything that had to do with that post editor. The shorthand would let you do uh, post editor dot uh, template dot HPS. So um, that was there's a uh, there's a bunch of customization options depending on you know how you want to work. Um, so that's you know good and bad um, may not be opinionated enough for some and maybe too controlling for others. So I'm not really sure where this is going to land. Yeah, I've always uh, I've always thought of it um, kind of like I, I know I know there are a lot of advantages to pods. Um, 
but I do like the classic uh, style because it's so ubiquitous. Uh, any Amber app you go into, you can generally count on it following the classic style. Uh, and then, and then for larger teams, like somebody like, uh, like LinkedIn or something, they, they almost assuredly use, um, pods because they're going to have a custom structure and they have enough developers and probably, you know, style guides and, uh, things like that. And it probably makes their lives a lot easier. Um, so I, I definitely see the advantage of, of either strategy. This thing is, uh, is addressing a lot of the, the problems and the frictions that are being experienced with pods, I believe. Um, and it's also going to add um, namespacing uh, for add-on component lookup, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, I think you're going to use it like colon colon is the way to do it. So it'll be add-on name colon colon component name. Um, so that's something that's really uh, exciting because uh, worrying about collisions and naming collisions is really uh, kind of annoying for add-on authors so yeah and and so like the add-on uh name colon colon that stuff seems to only work in templates so i believe in code you would still do like add-on name slash and then mm -hmm. the, the same route you would use um this is just so that you know the templates they don't want to use slashes in the templates for for various reasons um but you know they still need the ability in the template to like look up from a specific add-on Right. Um, I don't know. I also don't know what ha would happen if say, you know, you know that the thing won't clobber any of your stuff. You don't want to put the add on name. Like, can you just leave that off? That would be nice. Right. And there was a, there's also a small piece about, um, you know, there's a, the ability to have a file, um, that has a type of, uh, app and the name of main, uh, which is uh, a little, a little confusing. I think this is more for add on authors. Um, but it's, um, so that would be nested under, like slash modules slash main. So main is the name and then the type is app.js. Um, and then you can, you have the shorthand of the dot syntax. So you have modules slash main.app.js. But then there's an even more shorthand where you can just leave off the main and just modules.app.js. Uh, and this file is used like if you had a add-on that only had one major component that everyone was going to use, um, you can use that. And then when somebody resolves just your add-on name, it will get your your main uh file so yeah it's gonna be pretty cool I, i'm actually really excited to see uh to see this evolve i'd like to see maybe a demo app just to kind of like help solidify some of the concepts um the rfc is uh pretty in-depth they're uh obviously the rfcs are all um pretty well written i haven't seen one that's that's poor uh so it's it's worth your time to go in there and, and check it out and some of the comments around this one have been uh really insightful and um have been uh, pretty cool to read. So I would definitely, I would definitely encourage you to go and read it. It's RFC 124 on module normalization. Um, I believe it's by Dan Gebhardt. Um, so I would definitely check it out. Weigh in if you have anything to weigh in on. Um, I'm sure they'd be eager to see other people's use cases um, around this and around the space. So definitely weigh in. Uh, yeah. So let us know what you think. So this past week, uh, Robert Jackson and Dan McLean released another episode of Emberland talking about uh, the RFC, the, the unification, uh, testing unification RFC, I believe it's 119. Uh, so uh, we always like to encourage you to take a, take a listen to, uh, to Emberland. It always has really great information, um, like almost always very, very technical. Uh, so definitely encourage you to check it out. And, uh, and it kind of segues nicely into our next uh, conversation, which is going to be around RFC 119. Um, and uh, we, uh, we originally had the working title of this episode be, uh, be called Robert Jackson Writes His First Book, and it's called uh, RFC 119. 
uh, but that was a little too long. Uh, in in this uh, RFC, the idea is uh, it's a grand testing unification. Uh, so very recently, Chase and I have uh, done a training with uh, a corporate client, and uh, we were going through a bunch of different uh, Ember idioms and things like that, and describing the difference between an acceptance test and integration test took almost a full hour. Right, and I and I still like. Um... I think now they understand that there's a difference, but they don't really understand what the difference is. Yeah, um, they just know not to put acceptance tests in the integration folder. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe they know that they know yeah. to use the generators. That's that's good. Yeah, the big the big key was just tell them use the generators, and if and and that will kind of give you a hint at what kind of test you're developing. Um, so it, yeah, it, it really is a confusing kind of scenario to have these two different types of tests. Yeah, I think a lot of that's uh, just naming because. Uh, these particular clients had a Rails background, so the difference between an acceptance test and integration test are murky in Rails and very clear and explicit in Ember. Uh, so there's there's that. But this the the grand unification testing is kind of partly, um, and we're going to talk a lot about this, but it's partly to address that concern where uh, people would come into Slack and they would ask, "Oh, hey, my test is doing X Y Z. How do I do? How do I do this async behavior or something like that?" And the first question you have to ask before you go any further is, "What type of test are you are you writing? Is it a unit test? Is it an integration test? Or is it an acceptance test?" And uh, and that seems kind of uh, kind of weird. Uh, it, it would be much better if they had um, a unified kind of a- API and. Part of that, uh, part of the the problem is obviously uh, async aware helpers, um, where acceptance tests have really great async stories. Um, you say and then and visit and click. Although uh, I was noticing that when Robert asked the question about who's happy with this scenario uh, in the Boston Ember meetup, uh, which we're going to link to, um, when when he said that, he only like two hands raised, and that was really strange to me because I really like the acceptance test story. Yeah, the acceptance tests feel really natural to me. Uh, the the and then part's a little weird, but once you once you learn it, you you, you understand why it's there, um, and it doesn't really add much to it. It kind of encourages you to only have a couple assertions, though. Um, yeah. So which which might be good. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I yeah, I think that there are there are cases to be made on either side, but but it's a really great async story in acceptance uh, acceptance tests, um, though maybe a little global centric, which is something that Robert mentions in his talk. Uh, but integration tests have almost no async behavior. Um, they're they're kind of async ignorant, <clears throat> assuming that most of your interactions are going to be uh, synchronous, which is almost never the case, really. Uh, we ran into a few problems with that early on with integration tests or component integration tests, um, where we would just wrap things in set timeouts, uh, not set timeouts, Ember run laters or schedules, and uh, just to, just to get it to work. And then as soon as we added latency to the Ember CLI Mirage config, uh, everything broke. So that was really frustrating. Um, so I think part of this uh, test is to address that concern as well, where async testing for um, non-acceptance tests are is really hard. Um, so the way that the unification is kind of working, like the thing it's going to be rallying around is uh, the ES2016 spec, I think it's in stage three is what I was told, uh, is uh, around async and await, uh, both being keywords. And the idea would be, that rather than have um, kind of a bespoke solution for Ember, uh, we would use the language features uh, with async and await being uh, pretty well-defined. I think uh, Robert was saying in the Boston Ember meetup that uh, the reason that it's still in stage three is because of browser implementation, not because the spec is flawed, Um, but uh, ideally that would be something that that we can use soon. Uh, So 
Yeah, so basically when you write your tests, uh, test helpers, uh, or your test rather, your acceptance test would look like, you know, test description and then async function, not just function. Um, and then inside of your uh, function, you would be able to say await uh, this dot click uh, visits, you know, and that's for an acceptance test. So you'd be able to just click this thing and it would go and do the right thing. Right. And the the only reason why you need the async on the function that you're, you know, you're, you're running inside your test is just you have to use that async in order to use the await keyword. Um, so it's it's really just, you know, remembering that every time you see an await, the function wrapping, it has to be async. Um, and then there are also, uh, there's examples in here about uh, how to make your own helpers. Uh, because if you're, you know, now when you think about it, now you have to prepend await to anything that's asynchronous. So if you're doing that more than a few times, it kind of you know, clutters up the code. Um, there's examples of making helpers that are themselves asynchronous and you kind of like push all those awaits off into there and then you have, you know, the minimal number in the actual test. Yeah. Um, and it looks pretty clean. I think the the example in the RFC is like login as admin and it has, you know, an async function that just says await visit something, await uh, fill in this, await fill in that, await, you know, uh, it's like first name, uh, password, uh, submit or click button and right. uh, and the, the pushing that off to helpers is something that you can do now but it's it's kind of nice to be able to push that off and honestly I think it'll end up with some really we'll end up with some really cool helpers um, because uh, you're going to be able to uh, utilize this uh, this register helper inside of add-ons so we'll have some add-ons that have better uh, helper assertions like basically they're giving you a primitive to kind of work on community solutions which is something that Ember does really well so I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes yeah, um, and if you if you look at the the examples, you'll see that really what what's happening is that the the extra code that you used to have to have around asserts to make them async is now going away, and you have to put a little extra piece in the beginning to make things that were async now sync. So so it actually becomes less lines, um, and definitely you know like less clutter. So you're to, you're referring to like removing the and then function, and instead of having that for synchronous functions, you do the inverse and you put the await in front of the. Async, yeah, you're right? you're 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 adding the await keyword to make an asynchronous thing behave synchronously, rather than adding you know the, the wrapping function to make something that's synchronous behave asynchronously. Right. Um, and also, it makes it easier. You know, the the Ember test helpers now don't have to manage this global promise context. Yeah, with, which I think that's uh, first off, that's a really cool thing that happens there. But and, and I, I, I somebody I don't remember uh, I don't remember who who put that together but somebody was very clever to get that to work. Um so that that's really cool. I think uh, there's a really great blog post by Corey Forsyth um that explains how that works and I think that's great. I think it's called demystifying uh, Ember's async helpers. Um and it's and it's uh, I want to say it's like a year or two old but it's still totally relevant and that's really clever. But uh yeah, so another uh, side aspect of using async and await is that now when you read the tests um and this is something that we ran into recently uh, trying to uh, explain this to um, to people who are not very familiar with the acceptance testing thing is that you have to know just there's a magical list of async helpers and acceptance tests that just do the right thing and you don't have to wrap them in and then. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I had to, you know, remove an and then around a click or remove an and then around a visit. And it's like, well, yeah, these are async aware, so you don't have to wrap them in an and then. Um, but now what we're going to see is we're going to see uh, in the new style, we're going to see, um, you know, await will be at the front, front. So you'll say, okay, well, I know this is async. And I know this is async. So it's very apparent at a glance that what's happening. It's kind of removing a little bit of that magic um, to show you very clearly what's async and what's synchronous. 
Um, and then, it, of course, the, these these helpers are going to be available um, across the different uh, types of tests uh, via uniform kind uniform uh, API. So so you'll look at one test and it will do a specific thing. So an acceptance test boots the entire application, and you'll have the same helpers as an integration test where you're only doing an HBS fra fragment. So that's going to be really cool. Um, really, I'm really excited to see just literally a unification so that we don't have all this confusion surrounding it. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention is that the idea here is to support back to 112, I believe. Um, the work, the primary work here, I believe, is going to be done in Ember test helpers, and uh, it will be entirely additive. So um, this must not necessarily, because of the, the way the RFC is outlined, this must not um, break existing tests, mainly because that would be a huge pain in the butt for everyone who has to rewrite all their tests. Um, so it's an additive only change. And I think that's uh, really gonna gonna be awesome. I am really excited to see to see that come about without um, breaking existing stuff because I, I just think it's I, like it's a it's a it's a basically a lofty kind of goal to say, oh hey, we're gonna change the way that you can write these tests in a very dramatic way to make it simpler and more easy, but we're gonna do it such that you don't have to rewrite your existing tests. Yeah, that's that's a reoccurring pattern in Ember, it seems that because of the modular nature, like the early movement to just separating everything out, there's a lot of things that, that happen that that seem like complete rewrites, but you they don't really affect you. Even an older app, you just upgrade one piece and you don't have to, you know, switch versions of Ember to get new features. Yeah, definitely. I know it's a priority, and I think that's uh, pretty great. There was one thing that was kind of holding up this RFC. Uh, I asked uh, Robert um, in Slack. Uh, one of the things was uh, the original implementation in the RFC says that for acceptance tests, you'll have to do await this.visit, um, but they want, uh, they want that to be uh, an importable helper as well so that you can say await uh, visit rather than await this.visit. Um, so I think that's kind of like a little tiny thing, but uh, the idea here is that you just want it to be a little simpler. And then these importable helpers will be able to somehow get the magical uh, context that they need to uh, do the visit for for you. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. That's probably in a comment buried in here somewhere. Um, I was trying to look for it to see if I couldn't link to it. But yeah, I know that's that. I know that's going to be a priority to have uh, importable helpers that can actually grab the QUnit context that they need um, when when they're invoked. So that's going to be pretty cool. Oh, and then the one last thing that I wanted to mention because we've covered it a few times on the on the show is that um, there's going to be kind of a unified uh, API for uh, mocking services and looking up services through uh, the owner API. Um, which will be useful for you know for an, an integration test stubbing out um, something like uh, like adding Mirage to an integration test or um, accessing the store to see data before you know for for a state setup in a test or in an acceptance test uh, to maybe not hit an external service like Stripe. There's a there's a, a myriad reasons why you would uh, want to do that, um, but yeah, there's going to be a unified uh, way to do mocks in uh, in this RFC outlined in this RFC. Right, and that, that Git owner API is also one of those things, Nimber, that was you know added uh, recently, but you, you get the effect all the way back to older versions of Ember because it's just an add-on. Right, yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, definitely uh, check this RFC out. Please weigh in on it. Um, testing is very near and dear to, to my, uh, my heart, and I think that... Uh, you know, it'd be really great to get more feedback on this and, you know, honestly, uh, maybe see where you can help out and chip in. Uh, it's going to be a really cool uh, 
cool future for Ember testing. I think this is going to make things a lot more simple. So uh, definitely check it out. And uh, I'm sure we'll bring this up again in future episodes because uh, as the progress gets made, uh, I'm sure we're going to be pulling things over for uh, our projects. And we'd like to hear from you if, uh, if you have any use cases that are pretty cool. Yeah, so check it out. I think uh, integration tests are going to become a lot more fun, a lot more uh, easy. I think I'll write more of them now because I think I've uh, slowly been moving everything to acceptance tests just because they're nicer to write. Now yeah. they're getting even better. So, Yeah, I actually, you know, that's an interesting point. I didn't, haven't really thought about that. But yeah, I've been writing much more acceptance tests than uh, any other type of test. Um, yeah, I, 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 once the barrier breaks where, I, where an acceptance test isn't granular enough, I just go to a unit test. So Right. <laughs> yeah yeah check it out uh rfc 119 thanks for listening to ember weekend if you'd like to follow along visit us at emberweekend.com or you can find us at ember weekend all one word on twitter or subscribe via rss i'm chase mccarthy and i'm jonathan jackson and we'll see you next weekend